noisy uh, upstairs for me today. I'm hoping it doesn't affect this too much because I don't have any other time over the next couple of weeks to record this. So I'm praying that it's gonna be okay. And apologies if uh, you can hear anything. Uh, so it's been an eventful couple of weeks. Uh, as we all know now, the queen passed away. Um, being Irish, I don't exactly have a great idea of the monarchy. Um, and we don't obviously have the greatest of relationships with them, but I did respect the queen just for being a female icon, for reigning as long as she did, for being a mother, a grandmother. The woman was 96 years old. Um, I think it's it's an achievement to have reigned for as long as she did. Um, so I do have respect in that sense. Um, TV-wise, I've been longing for Sunday nights every week since House of the Dragon started. I'm addicted. It's so wild, so fun, so crazy. I actually think, I do think I might be enjoying it more than Game of Thrones. I had this realization the other day. Um, I tried also to watch The Rings of Power, which is the uh, Lord of the Rings prequel, but I just could not get into it. I feel like it's a world that I just don't really need any more from. I love The Hobbit, I love the Lord of the Ring movies, they're movies that I go back to and constantly rewatch, but I just think I got what I got from it and that's it. Um, I also think, I know it's the most expensive TV show that's ever made and Amazon pumped like a billion dollars into it, which is insane, but I think it's all looks and all substance and I honestly didn't even think the CGI was that great. Like it felt in a lot of scenes just very fake and some scenes I felt like I was watching like cosplay almost like just like amateur cosplay i don't know what's really i just could not get into it um over on apple tv i finished um five days of memorial which was about the chaos at memorial hospital during hurricane katrina and how several patients were euthanized without their prior knowledge it was absolutely harrowing stuff they intertwined real life footage and news coverage um as well and it was just mind-blowing and devastating and so unbelievable um so i definitely recommend checking that out um i told you the last time i had just been prescribed medication for ocd and anxiety and i'm glad to say that after almost three weeks i'm already starting to feel better um i had some weird side effects for a week or so but those seem to have subsided thankfully guys what i will say is just don't suffer there is help to be had there is help out there just reach out acknowledge that something's not right and don't suffer in silence. So on to today's episode. This one really devastated me to research. There is so much detailed violence that it was just disturbing to read. I had to stop and clear my head so many times. And also because the case is based in Ireland, I think I felt even more of an attachment to the people involved in Ireland. We tend to be as a whole um devastated when any things like this kind of happen um it's a very recent case and a very disturbing one in which i don't spare any details so please be warned about that for me personally i think it's an important it's important in these cases to show the violent details as it rings home just how much of an issue femicide is why it's such a problem how violent it is and how devastating it is to all the families who are left behind. So with that, here is the story of Nadine Lott. 
Knott was born in October 1989 in County Wicklow, Ireland. Her mother Claire described her as a textbook baby and a bubbly child. She loved to run around making people laugh. She was such a loving child. She was popular, she was the funny one, the caring one, the sharer, the listener and the problem solver. She made lifelong friends and loved each one of them individually. She always found the best in a person. She was very close to her younger sister Phoebe, even though there were six years between them. In June 2012, when she was 23 years old, Nadine moved to Darwin, Australia with friends on a year's working holiday. Here she found work as a beautician. She met a man called Daniel Murtaugh. Daniel was from Clondalkin in Ireland. The violent thug and boxer had come to Garda attention. Just to be aware, Garda, Gardi, Gard are all terms for a police officer in Ireland. So he had come to Garda attention several times before moving to Australia in 2011. He was first arrested in 2006 for public intoxication and was convicted of public offence orders in 2008 and 2011. He had a previous conviction for failing to appear in court. Initially, Nadine only told Phoebe about Daniel before eventually telling her mother. She said it was more of a holiday romance. She never said she loved him and only ever really described him as funny. Her mother said that Nadine had a very trusting nature, which she would have gotten from them being a family who took people at face value. Nadine got pregnant soon after and returned to Ireland in June 2013, followed by Daniel a few months later. She gave birth to a daughter named Kaya, with her sister Phoebe as her birthing partner, and they moved into an apartment with Daniel. Nadine did what she could to make it work, as she wanted the perfect family unit, but the relationship came to an end very quickly after. In 2016, Nadine made a last-ditch effort to make the relationship work. Her mother Claire says she didn't really have feelings for him by then, but wanted to make it work for the sake of their daughter. They were supposed to move in together to a house in Arklow County Wicklow, but Daniel didn't show up on the day they were set to move in. Nadine then ended the relationship for good. Nadine said she wasn't upset about losing him, but more of a pride thing, knowing that she'd been let down and everyone knew it. <coughs> Nadine still wanted Kaya to have a relationship with her father. He was a very insignificant part of the rest of the family's lives, however. Daniel always tried to make everything on his terms. Claire sees this now as warnings of his controlling behaviour. He would promise to visit Kaya, but then not show up. He would only give her child support money in person. He only ever seemed to want to see Nadine and not Kaya. He disliked her seeing anyone else, even though they weren't together. Nadine would keep things from him, saying it was easier than having to deal with the grief of it after. She had been dating a Turkish guy and got a text one day from Daniel saying, So, you were out on a date. I think I'll go and get my hair done with a Turkish barber. He was letting her know that he knew she had been out with this guy. Things like this happened regularly. On the 5th of December 2019, Nadine sent Daniel a WhatsApp. Nothing is ever going to happen between us again. I want to make that clear. Daniel responded, what are you being thick for? So in Ireland, being thick with someone is slang for saying you're annoyed or pissed off with them. Nadine, I'm not being thick, just saying it as it is. Daniel, are you seeing someone from Dublin? Nadine, what? Daniel, close to me. Nadine, here we go. Daniel, would you tell me before I tell you? Nadine, I'm not seeing anyone. Daniel, okay, was there a Dublin lad in your place? Nadine, ah, leave it out, Dan, will you? 
Daniel, Nadine, I worry about you. Not in love, just don't slip. Nadine, don't threaten me either. Daniel, how did I threaten you? Nadine, just don't slip sounds a bit like a threat. Daniel, why are you pissed with me? Nadine, you rot me with this. Do you have Dublin lads in the house? Daniel, I will be down next Friday. Try to be a bit nicer than you are now. I shouldn't be worrying as much. My fault. On December 6th, Nadine told Daniel they were having Christmas dinner at hers if he wanted to come down. Three days later, she told him it was her aunt's birthday and she planned to go for drinks with her on the 13th. On that night, he texted her saying to please come home soon. He called her twice at 1am and again at 1.26am, but they went unanswered. On that same night, Nadine's friend and neighbour, Amila, had returned home to her apartment and was getting ready for bed when she heard a lot of banging and noises. As it was less than two weeks till Christmas, she attributed it to shouting and cheering. Lying in bed with her partner, she came to realise the noise was coming from Nadine's apartment. They looked out the window and saw that Nadine's front door was ajar and the hall light was on. She went over and saw her friend in the sitting room, lying face down on the floor, crouched on top of her, was Daniel Murtaugh. She said he was like a wild animal making growling noises. He was inflicting a lot of force on her. It looked quite like he was shoving her into the ground forcefully, pressing his body weight on top of her. Nadine was struggling and gasping for breath while Daniel applied pressure with his hands to her neck and shoulders. Alina said he was vicious with rage. She exclaimed, Oh my God, what the fuck is going on? Daniel didn't respond in any way, shape or form. She could see he was trying to inflict as much pain as possible on Nadine. The only noise coming from her was gurgling and weeping. Amida ran to her apartment and called Nadine's sister Phoebe at around 4.30am. In the meantime, Daniel drove off in his car. Phoebe had burst into her mother's room and told her parents they needed to go as Daniel had stabbed Nadine. This is what Amila had originally thought. They left immediately, Claire not even having shoes on. When they entered the house, they could hear pieces of broken glass crunching under their feet as they went room to room trying to find Nadine. In the kitchen, Nadine was lying on her back, dressed in pyjama bottoms and a tank top, with her head pushed up against the skirting board. Phoebe said her lip was completely split, her eyes were really black and swollen. She wasn't conscious and was gurgling and gasping for air. Claire got down on the floor trying to talk to her, but was unable to even recognise her daughter's face from the extensive amount of damage that had been inflicted. She said, it's okay, we can do this. The guards arrived at the scene before the paramedics. Garda Butler noticed a really intense smell of blood as she entered the apartment and observed a large pool of blood surrounding Nadine's head in the kitchen. She described Nadine's face as extremely and grotesquely swollen and her left eye was completely swollen shut. She began chest compressions as Claire did mouth to mouth but blood was coming from everywhere. Garda Butler tried to clear her airwaves by inserting her fingers into Nadine's mouth and noticed some of her teeth were missing. Claire said efforts to resuscitate her were absolutely excruciating, but she was doing what she could to try and save her daughter's life. Garda Butler later said it was the worst case she had seen in her 14 years of service. She had never seen a person beaten so badly. Paramedics arrived at 4.45am. Nadine had a very faint pulse, which they lost three times on the way to the hospital. The seriousness of her injuries were such that she had to be moved from the corner of the narrow kitchen into the centre to allow for 360 degree access so up to four paramedics in addition to the Garda armed response unit could work on her. 
One of the paramedics said the scene will haunt him for the rest of his career and was one of the most horrendous crimes he had ever walked into. It was like a bulldozer had gone through the apartment. There was broken furniture everywhere and some of the debris had to be moved out of the way so they could gain access. The atmosphere was extremely and unbelievably difficult, very emotional, very charged. He had to change his gloves five or six times due to the blood. Her injuries were so severe it was difficult to see where they were. She had particles of glass in her hair that looked like she'd been hit over the head with a mirror or shoved into one. A guard drove the ambulance so that the three ambulance personnel could work on her. They arrived at St Vincent's Hospital at 6.40am. A nurse, Pamela O'Brien, described bits of wood and ceramics matted into her bloodied hair. One piece looked like a bit of a dinner plate and another a piece of wood. Her head was huge from all the swelling in comparison to her little tiny body. She tried to make her look as presentable as possible for when her family entered, even though she knew they had already seen her at the scene. Nurse Leah Grant from the ICU department said she had never seen anybody as badly injured as her. She was completely unrecognisable. Her mother brought in a photo of her and everyone was shocked when they realised it was Nadine. Nurse Grant couldn't check her pupils as they were so swollen shut. She wasn't even sure if her left eye was present. She received 42 units of blood in her first 24 hours in hospital. They couldn't even wash her hair as her skin was so fragile it would have increased the bleeding. Her nose was continuously bleeding even when they tried to gently pack it. She had pieces of plasterboard embedded in her knee. This was just one of 64 injuries inflicted on her body. After three days in ICU, Nadine Lott died on December 17th, 2019 at 3.16pm. John Begley was on his way to do some Christmas shopping with his wife on the morning of December 14th when he saw a car in a ditch at Bookie's Bridge near Lara, County Wicklow. He found no one inside the vehicle. As he drove about 100 metres up the road, he noticed a chap staggering on the side of the road and falling to the ground. After stopping to help, he found the man lying with his trousers and pants around his knees, on his stomach, smelling of alcohol. He told him his name was Daniel and he was from Clondalkin. When Gardy arrived, Daniel became very agitated and said they didn't know what he'd done. He told him twice he'd killed his wife and hoped she wasn't dead. He said, she was with my friend. He told paramedics he had PTSD. He also said he had killed his girlfriend. Daniel was arrested by Gardadara Mulhall at Tala Hospital for causing serious harm to Nadine. He kept asking if Nadine was still alive. He was told she was. He said, we're only after getting back together. I was supposed to be spending Christmas and all there. She's fucking one of my mates. Tell me, is she in a bad way? All I'm doing is praying she will make it. I was in Australia for three years with this girl. It's on and off then. I truly love her. She was seeing someone else. She came in shouting and screaming. Best I can tell you is I really love her. Did you find all my tablets in the car? I tried to kill myself, to be honest with you. Hand on heart, I know I hit this girl. I just hope she's okay. It was a domestic garda. The two of us had a drink. In his initial interviews, Daniel maintained that Nadine also loved him and they had been back together for the last few weeks but behind closed doors. He said her mother hated him so he stays in her apartment three nights a week without anyone knowing. Her family would disown her if they knew. Daniel said she looked more than a million dollars that night in a black dress and heels. He said he was expecting to make love to my baby when she got home. I call Nadine my baby. While waiting for her to return, he said he smoked a joint, took two pills and drank a shoulder of rum straight before he passed out on the couch. 
He initially said he couldn't remember anything of their assault before eventually coming to demonstrate how he had beaten down on her face and body. He said Nadine had a go at him for drinking and smoking in the apartment. He said she slapped him so he gave her a soft slap back and she fell to the ground. When asked why he hit her, he said, No reason. Absolutely no reason, guys. I'm going to pray every night. I just snapped. I don't know. I never hit a girl in my life. He goes on to say he gave her a couple of slaps, which he then elaborated with six or seven hard digs. He again insisted he had had no intention of hurting her. He denied that they had ever had any physical arguments previously. He would stand up for any woman in trouble. He just couldn't understand what had happened. At one point he said he thought she would just wake up in the morning with a few marks and brush it off as he had not gone to town on her. However, he later acknowledged that he hit the love of his life too hard and had broken his hand in the process. I didn't even think I was hitting her that hard. I've been in loads of fights and I hit lads way harder. In his later interviews, he admitted pounding her and punching like mad and that if he had wanted to kill her, he would have. You're trying to paint a picture of me trying to kill Nadine. If I'd wanted to kill her, I'd kill her. I didn't even want to inflict that pain on her with my hands. When asked why he did that, he said he was in a rage and she was down the town with another man. Gardie suggested to him that he was an angry person and he denied this, saying he was a loving person. When asked, he said his hands hadn't been damaged because he had been a boxer for years and so his hands were conditioned. He knew she was with a lad in Arklow and he was just trying to get it out of her. He insisted the assault only happened in the sitting room and that she was still lying there when he left. He said she was still breathing when he kissed her before he left. If he was sober, he wouldn't have done it, he said, blaming the drink and drugs he had taken. In his last interview, he called Nadine his future wife. He said her friends get battered nearly every week. He pointed to his head and said there had been nothing there on the night. He demonstrated how he was going down like that as he sat forward and punched the air downwards toward the ground. He illustrated his point by punching his fist into his palm of his other hand. He finally admitted how he had held a charger for a tire pump in his hand, wrapping the wire around his knuckles as he beat Nadine. The wire was long and getting in the way while he was hitting her. I stood on it and broke it and wrapped the rest of it around my hand. He also accepted that he might have used the cigarette-like charger in a hammer action on her. Kaya, their daughter, then just six years old, had witnessed everything. She had screamed and begged her father to stop and not to kill her mommy. Forensic scientist Dr. Stephen Clifford said the amount of blood spatter found in the kitchen of the apartment suggested there had been a sustained assault on her while she was lying on the floor there. He said the blood pattern in the living room indicated that she was assaulted there and that she must have been moved to the kitchen. Nadine died after suffering traumatic head, neck and chest injuries and her brain was swollen following a sustained and violent attack. The blunt force injuries were caused by hands, fists or feet and the use of a blunt weapon could not be ruled out. Dr Mulligan said there was swelling to both the deceased's eyes, generalised swelling of the face and small spots of bleeding were identified in the whites of her eyes and in the membranes under her eyelids. The left eye was difficult to visualise due to the marked bruising and swelling and the left earlobe was damaged due to an incised wound to the left side of the neck. There were nasal bone fractures as well as fractures to the lower jaw and blood was oozing from each nostril. There was extensive bruising to the inside of her upper lip, in front of the gum and it continued all the way into the gum line. 
There was evidence of extensive blunt force trauma to Nadine's face and a stab wound to the right side of the neck was visible. The blunt force trauma had caused bruising over the right eye and the side of the head, severe swelling with lacerations over the left eye and pulverization of the left side of facial muscles. The deceased also had displaced fractures of the facial bones and the eye socket, as well as a fracture to the jawbone. The incised wound, which extended from the left earlobe to the left side of the neck, caused significant damage to muscles and small vessels of the neck. The stab wound to the front of the right side of the neck, above the Adam's apple, which travelled behind the jawbone and into the mouth, had caused soft tissue and muscle damage, as well as damage to the structures in the oral cavity. All of these injuries would have combined to cause significant hemorrhage and blood loss. There were posterior rib fractures and bruising under the shoulder blades, which suggested that force was applied to Nadine's trunk during the assault. She pointed out that there was a fracture of the hyoid bone and bruising around the neck area, which suggested that force was also applied to the neck during the assault. There was extensive bruising to the tongue and the strap muscles of the neck. Referring to the brain, the witness said it was diffusely swollen as it had a limited capacity to expand within the skull and there was damage to the nerve cells in the brain. There was also discoloration in the brainstem due to the comp compromised blood supply. The court heard there were 64 individual injuries observed all over Nadine's body, which could not be accounted for through medical intervention. Now, that is one of the most shocking descriptions of injuries I think that I've ever come across. There are some injuries there of parts of the body that I did not even know existed and it's just so shocking to think of what this girl actually went through and the fact that her little six-year-old daughter was watching it all. On the 26th 2nd of December, a funeral service was held for Nadine, which was attended by over a thousand people, with hundreds more waiting outside. On August 5th, 2021, Daniel Murtaugh was found guilty of the murder of Nadine Lott, unanimously rejecting the defence of manslaughter due to intoxication. On October 4th, 2021, he was sentenced to life in prison. It was revealed in his sentencing that he had nine previous convictions, including one from 2011 for threatening and abusive behaviour. Family friend and solicitor Porrick Highland delivered a statement on behalf of the family outside the courtroom, with Nadine's family standing behind him all wearing face masks bearing Nadine's name in pink. Nadine's murder prompted commentary on the issue of women being killed by their partners in Ireland. In July 2022, Daniel filed legal papers in a bid to have his murder conviction overturned. Nadine's mother, Claire, delivered a victim impact statement at the sentencing of Daniel Murtaugh. I'm going to read the statement now, and it's one of the saddest things that I've ever read. Um, it's really, it took me a while to write it out, to be honest, so I'm going to hopefully try and get through it in one piece. Nadine was a textbook baby. She was a bubbly child. She loved to run around making people laugh. She was such a loving child. I would say to Nadine as a baby, what would I do without you? Her response would be, lost, mammy. This phrase we said often, even up until our very last day together. And now here I am, lost. Nadine was popular. She was the funny one, the caring one. 
Nadine played a huge part in the caring for her nanny, my mother, in her last few months prior to her passing in February of 2019. She would read, sing songs on request and climb into the hospital bed to give comforting cuddles. And she was also a rock to my father in his morning, morning, giving of her time so generously. This was not a task to Nadine. She did it without a thought as this was Nadine's nature. She had the most loving, caring, trusting nature. Nadine was at a point of her life that she was at her happiest. She had her amazing Kaya. She loved her life, her apartment, her job, her car. Financially, she was secure. She supported herself and Kaya as a single mother, as she always had done since Kaya's birth. Everything had come together for her. In her words, I'm actually so happy I don't need anything else. On the 13th of December, all of this was devastatingly changed. We had a lovely night together as a family. I left before Nadine. When I got home, I sent Nadine a text as it was raining to say, Nadine, if you need a lift home, call me. I never got a reply and I never will. There are no words to describe the enormity of the devastation on receiving that phone call in the early hours of December the 14th, 2019. We drove the five minutes in panic, but only expecting Nadine to be a little shook from a possible fight outlined on the call. The total carnage that we entered can and never will be forgotten. Nadine's home, her beautiful apartment, was the site of a horror movie. Nadine's blood splashed everywhere, broken glass, smashed mirrors, just total horror. When we got to the kitchen, the screams of my son and my youngest daughter I will always carry with me. Nadine, my daughter, my baby, was beyond recognition. She was gasping, blood pouring from her in so many places that all I could do was lie on the floor with her, holding her hand to give comfort. Comfort that I was there and Kaya was safe. With the support of Gardalinda, we perform resuscitation on Nadine with the phone guidance of the emergency services. Linda doing the compression, talking to the emergency crew. I was doing mouth to mouth. This continued until the ambulance crew were with us. Once they came to the kitchen, I had to leave Nadine at their request. I then checked on Kaya, who was in complete shock. She was cold, white, scared, and kept asking if mommy was okay. The carnage she had witnessed was beyond what any human should ever witness, never mind having to look at the savage, brutal, evil attack on her beloved mommy. Over the next three days, Nadine fought hard, but her battle was too much. Kaya asked over these days, how is mommy? Does she look awake? Could you put my mommy on the phone? Where is my mommy now? Could you get her? Does mommy like the teddy I made her? What did mommy say when you gave her the teddy? There was little in the way of comfort I could give, but I tried so hard. Nadine then passed on the 17th of December. The nightmare had no ending. And now in 2021, my family have been dragged through this trial with fresh grief and new nightmares to the memories we carry every day. We now have even more detail, evidence and pictures of the extreme gravity of Nadine's suffering. The callous coldness and unremorseful evil that forced our beautiful Nadine from us, her family. Life without Nadine is cruel, empty. To have to carry on without her every minute of every day is a struggle. The never-ending pain tangible emptiness constant flashbacks and are part of an existence for us nadine's adoring family the horrific evilness has changed all of us our bubbliness and laughter are gone although the effects on us adults in the family are catastrophic our little angel kaya endures so much more 
Kaya lost her best friend, and through pure evil, Kaya witnessed firsthand the devil at work. My granddaughter must now relive that night every day and night for the rest of her life. She witnessed total carnage, heard and saw her mommy suffering, begged to save her mommy's life. She displayed bravery beyond her years that night, and in the midst of horror, did what she could to save her mommy. Nadine was forced at the hands of evil to leave her most precious Kaya. She left us, her family and her friends with the greatest of memories, memories we treasure so dearly. She's missed beyond belief. Nadine, we love you so very much, or in your own words to Kaya, to the moon and back a million billion times. No one can remove your light from our lives. Shine bright, darling. We are proud that you are ours. I am so honoured to call you my daughter, and Kaya is so lucky to call you mommy. Your baby will always be adored and protected with our family. We love you, honey.